have to establish your center, like who you are and what you're available to give to someone. And then understanding that you might not be able to help them. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Dr. Sarah Martin, or as Bill refers to her, Dr. Dr. Sarah. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, real quick, I just want to say Happy New Year, my friend. It is 2021, and look, let's be real here. There is no way 2021 can't be immeasurably better than 2020. So I just want to say Happy New Year to you. Thank you so much for being here. I love and appreciate you, and I thank you so much for listening to the show. Now, normally, this is where I would do the whole, hey, weekly recap thing. Here's what's going on in my world, and I promise very, very soon I will do that, and I will give you the world's longest update about what's going on in my world. But in the interest of getting all these shows produced before the holidays hit, I'm kind of recording all of these in a very batch fashion, but to make it valuable to you, I am giving you five tips over five weeks to help make sure 2021 is your best year ever. So this is our fourth week, and if you didn't listen to the previous episodes, week one was all about setting goals, both process and outcome-based goals. Week two was all about finding accountability, hiring mentors, hiring coaches. Week three was all about getting back on the horse. You know, failure is part of the process. So when you fail, get back on the horse and get back to work. This week is all about learning to be patient. And this is a lesson I don't think I ever thought I would learn. You know, I was in my early 30s. I was successful by just about any stretch of the imagination. And man, patience was just not a thing that I learned. And luckily for me, I had this revelation in the form of kids. And if kids can't teach you to be patient and to be calmer and to control uh, whatever kind of urges you might have in your life, then I don't know what will. But when you're setting goals for yourself and when you're hiring coaches and mentors, you have to find this blend of you want to be aggressive in your nature. You want to set aggressive goals. You want to make sure that you're challenging yourself. But you also have to be patient and think about playing the long game. And this is something that I think a lot of people make the mistake of. A lot of young coaches and young trainers, they say, oh, man, I want to be an expert in three years. And, you know, just grind, grind, grind. They're on Instagram. They're on YouTube. They're going to courses or they're watching courses. Like, that's great. I I love that, that process and I love that mindset. But you also have to understand, like, you can't force the results. And sometimes there's this balance between knowledge and acquiring all this knowledge and getting experience. And you just can't make up for the experience and the reps that you get in the gym. And this is something that Dr. Dr. Sarah and I talk about at length. You know, when she was getting into this pelvic floor space, she wasn't an expert. But what made her so good was the fact that, you know, she was humble. She continued to learn. But most importantly, she got a ton of reps in and she just kind of said, I don't know all of the, all of these things, but I'm going to try a lot of stuff out. And it's OK if I fail again, coming back to week three, you know, you're going to fail. But being OK with that and knowing that that is part of the process. So I think this is something that we can all improve upon. You know, there's very few of us where we can raise our hand and say, no, I have an acceptable level of patience <laughs> and that's OK. 
right? Again, we need that certain level of aggressiveness. We need to be able to push when it's time, but we also have to think about the long game. And it's not about being the best trainer or coach in one year or three years. It's like, how can I be the best trainer or coach over the next 20, 30, 40 years? That's the kind of game that I want to play. And it's hard sometimes because I think that goes against our our nature or our natural intuitions. But at the same time, if you can take that step back, if you can have that bigger perspective, then I think it's a lot easier to be patient and know that, hey, man, I'm not trying to win in this short-term sprint. I'm trying to win in the long game and, and play this game as a trainer or a coach or as a rehab professional for as long as I possibly can. And I think just shifting that mindset can be a really powerful tool to help make sure 2021 is an awesome year for you. Okay, with that being said, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna jump into this awesome new show with my girl, Dr. Sarah Martin. It seems like almost every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who was frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. The exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting, to pressing and pulling, and everything in between. And last but not least, I've added an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now, here's the thing. Spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in March 2021. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com. And then stay tuned for our launch emails coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support. And I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Dr. Sarah Martin graduated with a PhD in neurobiology from the University of Kentucky in 2008. She then returned to UK to pursue an education in physical therapy, graduating in 2014. As a PT student, she was the recipient of the American Physical Therapy Association's Mary McMillan Award. In addition to general sport and orthopedic-based physical therapy, Sarah is specially trained in women's pelvic health and has been treating patients with these symptoms for over five years. Sarah incorporates her sports and strength training background and her continued training in biomechanics, breathing, neurology, and manual therapy to successfully treat her patients. In this show, Sarah and I take a deep dive into a normally taboo topic, the pelvic floor. Obviously, we discuss the physiology and need to understand that area, but we also discuss her assessment and treatment approach as well. And last but not least, 
we talk about more general topics, like the value of getting real-world experience and getting reps versus simply trying to learn all of the things on the internet. The pelvic floor is an area where I, and I'd imagine many others, don't have a lot of experience. So I hope you'll take some things away from this show, and it will also spur you on to learn more about this critically important topic. But enough for me, let's do this. Dr. Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is a really cool opportunity. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just going to I'm just going to keep it real short on this part because there's so much good stuff to talk about. So, I am a physical therapist. I work out of Lexington, Kentucky. I do have a specialty in pelvic floor as and women's health, which often kind of go along with each other, but we do more than just women's health with pelvic floor. So that's good to note. Yeah, I treat everybody. I treat, well, I treat almost everybody. I, I do a lot of like pelvic floor, but you know, anything else that walks into our clinic, I'm lucky to work in a really cool clinic. And so we see more specialty stuff. I don't, I can't tell, really tell you how many like knee joint replacements. I wouldn't trust, like if my, one of my family members was going to have a knee replacement, I would ask them not to come to me <laughs> because I just don't do it. Right. You know, right. so that's really, cool to to be able to do really cool types of things in PT. So that's kind of anything weird. I've probably seen it. (laughs) That's awesome. And what led you to the world of physical preparation? How did you get started in this whole space? So let's take it back to 2003. And I was actually my organic chemistry partner. He was into lifting and I was like, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'd love to try some of that. And, And so he actually introduced me to T Nation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and so I started reading and lifting and read a whole bunch of your like your stuff, Bill's stuff, well as all sorts of stuff. Right. And yeah, it was more of a hobby. I, you know, I started learning and then I mostly lifted to get my, you know, a hobby through grad school and to like get strong for rugby. And then I hurt myself. I dabbled in powerlifting and I hurt myself. I had a knee injury. And so I, you know, I had a really crappy PT and so then I hightailed it up to Indianapolis three hours away. I was like, I think these guys might be able to help me. <laughs> and so, yeah, and absolutely. So then I started working with Bill first. And then, you know, you did a whole bunch of programming for me. And I thought, like, this is actually really cool. And so then, you know, I started going to more classes and, you know, coming up for courses just out of like pure curiosity and just to get better. So that's how the physical prep stuff went. And then, you know, did some strength coaching on the side here and there for fun. So. So what about, what about the PT stuff though? Like what made you, yeah. was it, cause I'm always interested this by this, yeah. right? Like I always knew I wanted to get stronger and I wasn't seeing results doing like the old school bodybuilding stuff. Right. So that's what made me want to go into this. Was it part in part due to that crappy PT that made you want to go into physical therapy? Oh, so, okay. So with like the career stuff, it was really interesting. So yeah, I went and saw you guys and that was a really cool experience. And I had all this stuff and in my head, it was still this hobby that I happened to be kind of good at. Right. And what, so I was working. So at this point I was a postdoc. So I'd finished my PhD in neurobiology because, you know, just extra time. Light yeah, work. exactly. <laughs> and I'd, you know, I'd be working in my lab. So this, I was a postdoc, I'd be working in my lab and I'd have lab techs come in and they were like, 
hey, can you look at my shoulder? Hey, what should I do for this and that? And they would just, you know, and I'd answer their questions and stuff. And so one day, one of the ladies, one of the other scientists in in the lab that I worked with, she just looked at me and we were pretty good friends. So it caught me off guard. She just looked at me and she just goes, what are you doing here? I was like, <laughs> well, you know, working, you know, doing science. And she's like, no, seriously, like, what are you doing here? Like, you should be doing that. Like, look at, you know, look at your passion, essentially. And that day I was like, well, she might have a point, you know, because I really loved, I love the research. I, I still, I love research. But the in and the, the in and out day of being like a research scientist is, mundane. is intense. Yes, exactly. It's super mundane. It's a lot of books on tape, you know, that <laughs> yes. kind of stuff. And it, it wasn't working with people. And so I um, marched down to the PT department, which was like one building over. And was like, hey, so, you know, how can I apply? And they were pretty much just like, just put in your application. It's cool. You know, and so I did and got accepted. And yeah, and then the first, like the first line of business, I think probably first day of PT school, I'm, you know, marched down to the office of the people who do internships. And I was like, hey, look, you know, (laughs) I'm going to do an internship with Bill Hartman. Otherwise, I quit. I'm done. (laughs) But seriously, I mean, I think that was super important to me that having that bad PT experience, I think showed me like, there's a good way of doing this and there's everybody else. And so I definitely didn't want to be, if I, you know, stopped a whole career to do this, I was going to make sure I was going to do it my way. So yeah, I love it. I love that story. So let's dive in and talk a little bit because like you alluded to, you have a really unique niche in pelvic floors that I want to spend some time and focus on today. So let's start with a really easy question first. How did you get started working with patients with pelvic floor dis- dysfunction? Yeah, so kind of lucky. I was doing some stuff right out of PT school in the gym, like in a gym setting, um, just doing the the stuff that I learned from Bill, like straight up postural restoration stuff, right. you know, and banging it out, doing a great job, you know, getting people better. And I decided I also wanted like a little something else, like more stable, not just in the gym, like a clinic position. And as luck would have it, one of the one of the clinics here in Lexington, she was the owner was interested in PRI Mm. and she happened to also do pelvic floor physical therapy. And she asked me to interview. And so I um, met with her and she's like, you know, I I really think PRI is cool. I want someone here who does it. I also, you know, we do pelvic floor health and I are pelvic floor physical therapy. And I really think that they go, they would go really well together. And would you be interested? And, you know, at that time, like I had one class out of PT school uh, one day, seriously, they right. like dedicated a whole day to pelvic floor physical therapy. <laughs> and so, you know, it was like, I don't know, it was probably, if I would have thought about it too much, I probably would have said no. <laughs> You know what I mean? I was like, well, cool. Yeah, let's do this. I can, what I was attracted to was the clinic. I was going to have one-on-one, my own treatment room. So I figured, "Eh, small price to pay, small price to pay for being able to do PRI my own, you know, my own way and, you know, treating a good clinic. And so that was the start. I did not realize what I was signing up for, but I'm glad I did. It's been a really, really cool journey. And with it, I've, been able to, and being in that clinic, especially like sh- both of the senior physical therapists have been therapists for like 20 years, which is kind of rare, Yeah, you know, to really be able to work with people who've been doing what they want to do as PTs for years. So they have a, a huge DO background mm. as well as visceral. So I learned a ton 
a visceral, then that's where like you get kind of get into the the, the organs, um, working in people's abdomens, which is really interesting, and as well as some of the mechanic like biomechanics stuff. Um, so it was, it was pretty cool. It's been pretty cool to be in that environment. And how long have you been there? Almost six years. Oh my gosh! Might be. Yeah, exactly. My gosh, that's crazy. I know. That's crazy. It literally seems like two years ago that you were with <laughs> Bill. So, so talk to me, like over those six years, like mm-hmm. how do you go from a generalist, right? Like you right. have these, this basic broad skill set to, Hey, you know, and, and not to mention that one day of PT school right. where you oh, really totally. got all of the pelvic floor knowledge, but Very how do you different. go from that to where you're at now? Like what kind of work did yeah. you have to do on the back end to kind of get yourself up uh-huh. to speed? I think Bill and I kind of talked about this recently. It's day, it's the day in and day out. Yeah. It's the not like I put so what I ended up doing kind of going back is like I I was doing a few things. I was teaching, I you know at, at UK for their PT program, I was doing stuff in the gym and I decided decided, you know what? I'm going to learn PT. I'm going to learn to be a clinician. And so I just I dropped everything into that basket and I said I'm going to put my focus here. Honestly, I kind of Besides the pelt, like I went to some pelvic floor courses and which was real, of course, really helpful, you know, right. for starting. But what I did was almost through necessity because of, you know, starting a family and all that kind of stuff. I, I just went into the clinic and I treated every day and I stopped reading so much. Not that it was bad. I didn't have time. But what it ended up doing, I think, is that it made me stop overthinking things and just using what I had. I had a great I had a really, I was lucky that I had a really great base of information that I got from, you know, being an intern with Bill. And I had these other, surrounded by these other PTs who were really good at what they did. And so I just used what I had for a long time yeah, and just developed the watching. And what it's funny, my boss now, she calls it fiddling and diddling. (laughs) And that's it. Like, okay, this isn't working. I'm not going to read and see you know, oh, what am I doing wrong? I'm going to see what, I'm going to try something else. And so, you know, and it works in physical, you know what I mean? It works with everything. Absolutely. But especially in that pelvic floor realm where there's not a lot of answers out there. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of people with all the right answers. And so I did have that space to be like, you know what, I'm this person's last hope. They've been to, you know, this many doctors. I can't really mess them up anymore. So I'm just going to see what works. And I did that for a long time. And I tell you what, it was the best thing that I did, even though I thought that I should be, I thought I was doing myself a disservice of like, not, you know, seeking out all the knowledge and constantly reading and yeah. It's such a great point, and it's something that I try and really impress upon young coaches these days because, again, you and I are of a certain age. You're younger than I am, but, like, when I was coming up, there was so less knowledge to be had, right? Right. Like, the internet was sort of a thing, but if I really wanted to dig into something, I had to order a book or a VHS Mm -hmm. tape or go to the library and print out research articles. So, like, knowledge was so much harder to come by, so you just would go in the gym, and it was okay to experiment versus now – there's this like stigma, like, oh, you don't know what triple block periodization is. Like, oh, well, what are yeah. you doing with this entry level athlete? Like, come on, mm-hmm. man. Like, you need reps. You need experience. Exactly. Not to say the book knowledge is not important or unimportant. It is. But you have to find a balance between the two. I agree. And that it's everyone wants the thing that they can put on Instagram that's yes. like, 
new and cool and they know all about it and they know all the background and it's like sometimes it's just like I don't know it just works you know and playing around with it and learning later and coming back to it but yeah exactly I think that there's just just the reps and I think that's what that's what really helped me grow into I think the PT that I am now yeah yeah I love that okay so I'm gonna go a little out of order here because we kind of oh. already talked about anatomy we talked about the one day that you had like when I was coming up, we literally never discussed the pelvic floor ever. Now, granted, I'm not trained as a PT, but never heard about the pelvic floor, never learned about the diaphragm in six years of undergrad and grad school. Like it wasn't a thing. Right. I think you and I can agree. They're pretty important. So would you just break down the pelvic floor for us a little bit and maybe explain the role that these muscles play in our body? Right. I think one of the interesting things of why you don't hear about it, it no one wants to talk about peeing, pooping, and sex. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, and so I think that's been from a from a poor con- concept of the pelvic floor. I think that's been the idea of it. You know, even when you look at like the pudendal nerve is the shameful. You know, the, it means the shameful nerve. And right. so it's just like, oh, we don't have to talk about it. We can't see it. It works. Whatever step back, all of a sudden, you know, people, we we realize that it's more than that. So when you look at the basic pelvic floor function that that we do kind of talk about, you've got, you know, bowel and bladder control, sex, and those are kind of the big things. But then as a bipedal erect person or human, the pelvic floor became something even more. And this is where I think people right now in the strength coach of business are really interested in is that it's a postural muscle too. Right. And so without your pelvic floor to, if you were to have any pressure in your system, you know, lifting anything off the floor, your organs would fall out underneath you because we have a, a literal hole like in the bottom. Right. You know what I mean? Like in the bottom of our, of our torso, which I don't think people realize that it, it is, it, it's a hole. Right. And the pelvic floor is what stops everything from coming out, which, you know, if you're a dog, it's not a big deal. You're on all fours, so you don't need to use it as such. But having all of those those roles, just like the diaphragm, right, breathing, posture, it gets confused. And so you start to get, it becomes, it can be used in like other in compensatory, in a compensatory way for standing, moving. And so then when it starts to play a compensatory role for other things, you can start having issues with kind of your basic bowel bladder functions and you know, you work into pain and stuff like that. And so the pelvic floor is super fascinating. And the anatomy is, is interesting too. It's it's a little bit more complex. There's a lot there. So I'll kind of skip over that today. But yeah. when it comes to function, it's huge. And so one of the things that I always talk about is the relationship, you know, as people are start, starting to talk more about the diaphragm, the there's this direct relationship between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. So as you breathe in, so in a normal, in a situation and an ideal situation, as you take a resting breath in, the diaphragm drops down, right? It flattens out and it pushes down onto your internal organs, which is good because that's mobility. And then your pelvic floor drops down with that. And so they're both, they're both going, they're both descending at the same time with a relaxed breath. And then as you breathe out, they both ascend. So you get this pump system that that works at 
that should be working at a at, at rest all the time. Right. So that's a hu- it's a huge compo- it's a huge thing to know because if you don't have that, nothing else nothing else matters with the pelvic floor. You can do kegels till the cow comes cows come home. Nothing's going to help you if you don't have this resting proper mobility that is supposed to exist in the pelvic floor. That's, that is goes along with the diaphragm. That's fascinating. Okay. So now a not so easy question. Could you explain, at least in part, why we're seeing so many issues with the pelvic floor these days? Oh, yes. So oof. so <laughs> first, let's start with the fact that people are willing to talk about it now. So you have people finally like shouting from the rooftops, hey, you know, this pelvic floor is here and there's a lot of dysfunction. You know, people are experiencing a lot of dysfunction. So, so we have you know, women are finally coming out and saying, hey, like, yes, you know, I, I'm in, you know, I have incontinence after my kids, you know, and yes, my mother said she had it, my grandma said she had it, and they all say it's normal, but I don't want that for myself. You know, I think that I'll give it to women and how they've gone from essentially just being like moms and kind of letting their body be moms to being like, you know, after I had these babies, I, I want to still work out. I still want to have, you know, I still want to have my strength. I still, I still want to feel good. And so I don't, I think that they stopped being okay with the answer of this, this is just how it is. And so I don't know that we've, that we're seeing, well, we, I don't know that part of it is that we're not seeing more. We're seeing, we're seeing people like address it and want it addressed. Now, on top of that, with the pelvic floor is super integrated in the autonomic nervous system. And so you, you know, when you think about stress, we don't think about the pelvic floor, but it is a huge part of stress and managing stress. So I think, you know, you might be seeing an increase, people having increased issues with their pelvic floor with um, increased stress increased, of course, you know, poor lifestyle choices, you know, all that kind of stuff, like everything that you see, all these first world, you know, social media, computer, all of those problems, you're seeing it now, like you're seeing it in the pelvic floor just because of how integrated it is with stress Hmm. and lifestyle. And then to add another fun component is kids. So I've been starting to learn, that's what my, I'm taking a course this weekend, um, I've been treating some kids with constipation issues and noting part of de- like them missing developmental milestones. Mm. And so I don't do any kind of like when I'm treating a kid for pelvic floor, like we don't do any kind of internal exams or anything like that. You know, it's I do what you guys do. I watch them crawl. Right. I what you know, I watch them move. I watch them breathe. And, I, you know, we get these kids better because. I teach them, I, you know, I have 11 year olds crawling yeah, and, you know, like really relearning how to use their body because what they did, I mean, I always say like every, our bodies, humans are amazing. They figure out how to get it done. I mean, through evolution, like you're not going to just stop and not do your body's going to figure it out, but it might figure out in a way that, you know, makes pooping really hard. Right. And so, you know, I wonder sometimes how much just the lack of kids, having really good time to develop themselves physically. And that's probably something that you've seen, you know, from when you started, how kids come in with a base level of athleticism 
and where they are now and yeah. what they're coming in with now, that's, that's what I'm saying. And so I wonder if we're now, you know, putting a lot, kind of causing a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction early. So that's crazy. And it's, it's such a great point because I think there's a certain time and a place to just get the job done. Right. And like, there's a task, go achieve it. But strategy is important, right? And that's something you don't hear people talk about it a lot. I know Bill talks about it to hear you say something along those lines, maybe not surprising, but but yeah, I mean, like strategy is so important and it's always amazing to me how resilient human beings are. Like we will figure out a way to get something done, but that doesn't always mean the strategy is going to be optimal for the long term. Right. And exactly. That's exactly it. We, and you don't want to take away that, you know, humans are amazing and and figure it out. But when it starts to cause serious issues, whether it be, you know, a lack of ability to, from, from easy stuff, especially for kids, like a lack of ability to enjoy sports or enjoy physical activity to all the way down to like, can't pee or, or can, can't control urine, having um, constipation issues, you know, that's, that it's no longer okay. Right. You know. Right. So this actually kind of leads me into my next question. For somebody that is not familiar at all with this space or knows nothing about the pelvic floor, what are some reasons that somebody might come see you as a pelvic yeah. floor specialist? Absolutely. So we always think of the obvious, you know, people already kind of know of the obvious of like, uh, you know, incontinence, having either urge where you feel like you, you have, as soon as you feel like you have to go to the bathroom, you're, you're losing urine or stress incontinence, you know, uh, right. uh, losing urine with jumping and all that kind of stuff. As I mentioned, I treat people with constipation issues. So that might come into my, that comes into my office a lot as well as pain. So pelvic floor pain, pelvic floor pain, which isn't, this is the big, you know, newsflash. This isn't just females, like men have pelvic floor pain mm. and, and even especially actually in an athletic population. So I've been seeing a guy recently, 22 pelvic floor pain with lifting. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so these are things that, you know, I think because of that, that kind of root of like shameful or not wanting to talk about it, you don't, you don't hear people say it sometimes, you know, and that's what I think strength coaches need to be so aware of is that if someone's quitting, you know, or, or stopping or don't want to do, they don't want to do something, you know, sometimes it's because they don't, and you don't know why, maybe they didn't want to tell you, you know, and so it's really important to know. But also endometriosis or IC, interstitial cystitis. So I also see actual like, you know, different disorders that can be treated with with um, PT, which is crazy. That is super cool. So here's something I'm really interested to learn. When it comes to a patient that's dealing with some form of dysfunction, what does your assessment process look like? Right. So because the pelvic floor has that that major postural component to it, the, my assessment is definitely going to be at first very similar to what you're going to see in Bill's office, right? You're going to see me measuring hips. You're going to see me uh, looking at the diaphragm. I'm looking at how people breathe. I'm looking at where, where are people compensating that they're not, that potentially is getting in the way of them properly using their pelvic floor. So that's just your general basic screening. And then, but then Depending on the situation. So here's where, here's another, you know, thinking about skills that you develop with your, what you do because the pelvic floor is so, such a charged area 
everyone comes in and you kind of have to establish where that person is emotionally. So with where you're going to go next, right? Because it's easy right. to do like moving their arms and legs and stuff. But, you know, and that's going to, you know, like I could have in one day, I could have, a, you know, a 45-year-old nurse who has pelvic floor pain as well as incontinence. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and has this history of people trying to fix it and messing everything up. And then I'll have, you know, a 28 year old first baby strength coach, you know, just having some issues with lifting. And then, you know, a guy yeah, like my 21 year old male who can't lift without pain, you know, so how the first thing is talking, you know, and, you know, Bill always talks about the rap, you know, your rap. And so my rap's really interesting now yeah, <laughs> and bet. very nuanced. And so, you know, some people come in and they don't know why they got, like, they don't know why they were sent there. So there's a lot of unraveling of like what the pelvic floor is, why this might be helpful. And then, like I said, you kind of do this basic assessment and some people that's it. I can tell enough about what's going on that I might not have to go any further. But a lot of times with the people that I see that I'll do an internal exam and essentially what I'm looking for. So with women, it'd be, it's vaginally. And so you go in and the, the cool thing is, (laughs) this is kind of the nerd part of it. it. Imagine being able to actually feel the diaphragm move. Right. Like to put your hand inside like someone's body and feel what the diaphragm is doing. That's what you can do in the pelvic floor. Hmm. Right. Right. So so as they breathe, you can feel what that pelvic is doing with the breath, the pelvic floor is doing with the breath. Is it properly descending with the diaphragm? Is the diaphragm descending? You know, you can watch right. all that and feel. So then also take, you know, there's so a lot of surgeries happen in the pelvic floor. So I'm looking at scarring and how that might be affecting things. Muscle tone, asymmetries. Oh, yeah. talk about knowing, like really feeling an asymmetry, You an internal exam can give you that information so quickly. Hmm. So, cause it's, I mean, it's, it's obvious to me. I don't know. It, it, you know, during PT school when they had me like palpate an elbow, I don't know what I'm doing right but now, you know, like with the pelvic floor, it's just so easy to see if, you know, you can have one side that's, that's descending with the breath and the other side that isn't, you know? Wow. That's crazy. I, yeah, it's cool. I, I guess I never would have thought of that. Okay. So let's take that a step further. You've gone through the assessment process. Yes. You've come up with your diagnosis or your treatment plan to start. What do you do? I mean, obviously you're probably going to have some local stuff, but if you have things that maybe lie outside of the scope, like you're doing something, I don't know, for their chest walls, right? Or or some some remote area of the body. How do you explain to them that like, hey, look, there's a local and a global piece and we've got to integrate all of that back together. How do you sell that to them? Oh, so this is where my job's way easier. Okay. <laughs> so for, with pelvic floor patients, of course, with my other patients, I, you know, you have to do a lot of selling points, but imagine like, just think about everything that you do. You know, if you have an, if you have someone that's where their knee hurts, you're having to sell breathing, right? Right. Well, I don't have to sell that. It's, it's like right in that little package. And so what I always do is address because address the 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 issue that, pe- that your pelvic floor should move and it needs to move with your breath, and so that's foundational. And so right. I my job is to find the position that that can happen. And mm. so as you know, we talked about compensation. So I have to figure out what position I can put them in to help them 
not use their pelvic floor in a compensatory fashion? How can I get them to reestablish this, this proper motion? And so that's where I use my assessment and decide at first, you know, my first thing is I just try to figure out, I use the assessment to see, okay, where are they, where's the most probable position for them to reestablish this good pelvic floor motion, you know, and that's a lot of the stuff that you hear, you know, the intensive stuff that Bill does and then, you know, wide versus narrow, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, and that's what Bill would say too. I mean, not everyone comes in as this perfect picture. Someone would be like, they might be a narrow, narrow rib angle, let's just say. And you're like, oh, quadruped. Oh, I've had two knee surgery. Like I've had two knee replacements. I don't, I will not get on my knees. You right, know what I mean? It's right. like you're constantly shuffling and being like, okay, what's a good position for you? And finding that even if it's sometimes suboptimal. So I get them positioned to, to be able to really find that motion through their pelvic floor. So that's always first. Then this is kind of what you're speaking to. Then we have to build that, build on that. And so that where I might be doing some stuff that seems odd to them, whether it be a hip shift. But again, because I can do the internal exams, I can, they can feel it. So right. if you have a tight side of your, like, let's just say you have pain on the right side of your pelvic floor and it's really, it's really tender, you know, put them in a shift on the table and let them feel how, oh, oh now all that relaxed. Right. So like I said, that's the one area, the one area that I actually have a little bit of an advantage. So then I'm, I'm big in the found for my work as Bill, you know, as you, you and Bill were, were saying like there, you have to, strategy is important. So I always give them a really good solid foundation because if I skip that, if I go into anything fun, it, Instagram fun, it's over. And so the, you know, you, you, you have to st- establish foundations. And so I think that's the part that people hate and think are boring. And why does, you know, it's hard to make a cool Instagram video about it, but you really have to establish this proper motion. And so we do that first. Well, then you have to progress it and help right. them learn how to keep to how to keep that while doing other activities. And so that's where things can get a little hairy, you know, not hairy really, but you know, but it, taking them to a new place that maybe they didn't think that they were going to be going with being able to build up to be able to use proper strategies where the pelvic floor is being used as a prop properly in its postural role. So then it can also have its roles in everything else being used well. Interesting. Interesting. And so how has your approach changed since you did the intensive? And I know Bill's changed a lot of stuff over the years since you were a student, but how has your treatment model or maybe the positions you use evolved since going through that or has it? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. That's, that's a super fun question because I really like when I had started and like I said, did a lot of that work between when I was an intern with Bill and when I went to the intensive, uh, you know, I was looking at all of this stuff, like really, I was like, people need to relax (laughs) because, you know, I was, I was having, you know, feeling these pelvic floors and working and realizing that like the, the PRI or that that the the positional stuff a lot of times was so aggressive mm. you know and and trying to force these positions and and it wasn't working and i was like this isn't working so i started essentially you know putting people in positions to help them relax and like supporting them doing a ton of support and and doing a lot of belly work and like manual work in people's bellies and being like well you know it's manual i know i'm 
you know, quote unquote, not supposed to be doing it, but it, it's working, it's helping people. Right. And so understanding that like the, the internal organs have motion and that you need to respect that and they need that motion to be a functional organ. So the colon needs to move to be functional. And so this is all the stuff that I was learning. And then I went to the intensive, just interested and not, like I said, I hadn't done a ton of, like I, I followed videos here and there of bills, but I just didn't have time to really dealt, like dive into what he was doing. I go to the intensive and I mean, I just kept looking at him and being like, oh yeah, this, I mean, he can tell you, I was like, oh yeah, I see that all the time. This is, you know, I've been doing that too. You know, so a lot of it, was nice because it was this aha moment of, yes, this is what's been working for me. The cool part, of course, that Bill brought in was he brought it all together. And so I think sometimes I was doing things, I was treating things as separate components when not kind of thinking, okay, this is, this is all related, you know, like how someone's gut is moving is related to how their hips are moving. And this is what I might be able to do about it. And so just getting that fuller image of the whole system together was a huge aha moment for me in the intensive. And then again, it's so funny and then taking it and create and then creating, being able to help people a little bit more, you know, being able to find that position that was going to let their pelvic floor go a little bit further. And so that's it. It, it really took my treatment up a huge notch right away. So like getting much better results really quickly, which is really cool yeah. because I had all the back knowledge. I didn't have to like think in my head, Oh, so how, why the liver moves? What? I wasn't in there doing that. I was like, yes, I, I got that. Come on, let's, you know, let's put it all together. And so that was super, super cool. And yeah, so that's definitely the intensive helped me like find better positions faster and really, like I said, put it all together as one thing for me. I love it. I love it. So I try to keep the show relatively hate-free but I think one of my pet peeves is when some random internet internet expert says, you know, you just need to do blank. And that could be in any realm. But in this realm, it's like, oh, pelvic floor dysfunction. You just need to do Kegels for your pelvic floor issues. Yeah. So whether it's the random internet expert or a first-time patient coming to you, how do you go about explaining your approach and why Kegels may or may not help them with their issues? Yeah. That's such a good one. And yeah, the hate for, you know, I, I, you love anyone trying to help people, but when anyone simplifies it to the ridiculous, you know, it's, it's very frustrating or saying, oh, you know, you don't need, you don't need to know anything about the pelvic floor. Just have them do squats or, you know, uh, all that, you know, whatever, whatever they're, they're, I mean, I think squats are great. I'm not hating on squats. I think they're amazing, but just giving some flippant answer for a population that they really haven't dived deep into. And so what I do, what I, I mean, like, that's a huge part of what I do. It's a ton of talking and educating. And so one of the biggest things is helping people know that their pelvic floor moves and that it's this muscle group. And yes, it's supposed to hold up your organs, but hold in your organs, but it also, you know, you also need to have control over it to be able to do everything, all the other functions, all the kind of physiological functions that it's meant to play a role in. And so, you know, what I feel like I have to do and for everyone, it's a little bit different, but how to 
what's the word, kind of give the pelvic floor this deeper, more like more complex without without being without speaking too in a too complex way of just kind of opening the door of helping them understand all of the things that this that this muscle group is doing and 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 helping them know that they're essentially that they're okay. They're not the only ones, you know, with this or that issue and saying, okay, you know, first we need to help you feel your pelvic floor and, and feel the motion that it's supposed to have because you can't contract a muscle. Uh, that's a lot of the example that I use. Like you can't contract a muscle that's already kind of stuck in contraction. Right. And that that's a, cause that's what they'll say. They'll be like, oh, I've done, you know, let's just say it's just like a basic incontinence. Well, I do Kegels. I do them out every day and I get nowhere, you know? <laughs> well, as I always use kind of like that basic, like bicep, you know, like, see, I can move my arm up and down, but if I have my arm up, I can't move it up anymore. Right. <laughs> you know? And so just those basic understandings of how your pelvic floor should move, which speaks to pretty much the whole, speaks to everyone right and in in this this really and then the support of it and so then that becomes the next issue with people is how the pelvic floor shouldn't have this sustained pressure because when so if you're using kind of a valsalva if you're using a valsalva technique to stabilize your system which is that kind of that bearing down that pushing technique um, all the time that your pelvic floor is is constantly trying to overcome it because you're tr- you're constantly trying not to squirt your organs, you know, right. out of your rectum or your vagina. And so, you know, <laughs> helping people understand that and using very layman terms is super, super important. Yeah. And so, yeah. So hearing anyone say, well, you just need to do a Kegel or just, you know, inhale as you're doing this and exhale as you're doing that, as important as that can be with a pelvic floor dysfunction, if their pelvic floor isn't inhaling and exhaling with their diaphragm, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you brought up a couple points that I want to circle back to just real quickly. But number one, I can only imagine that as good as you have to be clinically at your job, like your levels of empathy have to be off the charts. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like yeah, I'm just imagining how personal, personal of an issue this is. Right. And my wife's a dietitian, So I kind of see that because Training is easy. Like training's training. Like maybe I see you three days a week. Right. Nutrition is something you do three to five or six times a day, right? Mm -hmm. The stuff that you're dealing with is stuff that you're doing multiple times per day. It's like an average human like function that you expect to be there. And when it's not, it's an issue. So, you know, I just wanted to circle back to that. Like the amount of empathy that you have to have is probably very, very high. It's insane. And, you know, where some days, like, luckily, like, I, I, I work with really cool people who had, had to help me through it. Because at first, when I was first, I mean, I would come out of the treatment room emotionally exhausted. Yes. It, it felt too much sometimes, you know, when you're hearing, you know, trauma or, or even medical trauma, you know, people who've been here or there, and then you're their last hope. You know what I mean? It puts you in this whole, <laughs> like, how can I be their last hope? You know, all that kind of right. stuff. And just really learning to ground myself in myself. And I know weird, but you have to establish your center, like who you are and what you're available to give to someone. And then understanding that you might not be able to help them and that you're going to try your, you know, kind of 
one of the things that, especially with some of the really complex patients that then ended up carrying over with everybody that my coworkers taught me that had been, have been doing this kind of work for a long time is you're not going to be able to, like, you're going to give them what you got and that's not going to hurt them. They might not get better, but other people have tried and haven't gotten them better either. Right. And so, you know, it's okay. Essentially, a, it's okay to fail as long as, you know, you, you give them what you give them what you know. And if that doesn't work, then that's okay. Yeah. And in this line of work, that was so important to hear because it's sometimes, you know, and, and of course the, the more I've gone on, the more I've seen and the more I have, have been able to help or even been able to give them what, and that's the other thing. Like it might just be one little thing that can help, yeah. you know, and it might, you might not cure everything, but if you can give them just a little piece. And so just learning to establish my own, to separate myself from the patient and who my success from their outcomes was super, super important. But then to be able to come into every treatment, you know, to be able to come into the treatment room and be kind to that person and really listen because, you know, they need to get their story out. Yes. And, and that's been a huge, huge component of just letting them get their story out. I love that. Yeah. So, the other thing that I wanted to mention, but this idea, you mentioned it up top of relaxing in your resets. I think this is something that a lot of people have messed up in the past or a lot of people don't give enough credit or credence to. But I feel like when it comes to breathing exercises, the more you're working, the less it's probably working. Right? Yeah. Like oh, I yeah. see this so often where people are like trying to force their body into a mm-hmm. position versus relaxing into a position and trying to breathe through it. And I think that's something that you mentioned as well. Yeah. And that was, like I said, that was a huge aha moment before before I went to the intensive and then just got, like, I got better at it, at helping people relax after the intensive, uh, finding better positions, you know, just from talking to Bill and kind of uh, working with that. But you're exactly right. Like, you know, it's something I've been actually thinking about, uh, like, even bringing it back neurologically. When you think about, like, Parkinson's disease, you know, disease that affects the basal ganglia. And we always, you know, when you learn about it in school, you're like, so why, what? So essentially their system is always turned on. So all of their muscles are active all at once. And so when you have that, it's actually non-movement. Yes. We always, you know, in the strength community for the longest time and PT as well, it's always been about strengthening and, you know, this strong component. But when you look at what movement actually is, it's inhibition. Mm -hmm. It's inhibiting the system. And that's why Parkinson's people can't, people with Parkinson's can't move because they can't inhibit. And so, so everything's just on. And so kind of looking at, looking at it, with what we're trying to do, it's, it's, we're trying to create movement by getting their system to relax and inhibit to then be able to put on good movement on top of it. But you can't put good movement onto a contracted system. You can't. Yeah. And so that's exactly it. And it's been really cool. Hasn't it? That's awesome. Yeah. Really see the difference. Yeah. I just think back to when we first started employing breath work and all of that and, you know, just trying to fight and just muscle our way into these positions as meatheads, right? That's yeah. your that's yeah. your avenue, right? Like, oh, yeah. I'll just muscle my way through this. And now understanding like, oh, maybe if I just chill out and relax, I can find that position a lot easier. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't tell you how many times how many times I failed with a good old quadruped. Come on, higher, higher, keep that arch. You know, right. Big exhale. Just like, right. oh man, I screwed so much stuff up. Yes. Well, that's why we're here to share all those mistakes. Okay. Oh, totally. Big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Dr. Sarah Martin one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Uh, don't take on so much. Mm. Don't take on so much. I definitely, you know, like a, the, even a, at the very beginning of my, like after PT school, I was I was teaching neurophys and like two other courses at UK. I was, you know, working in this clinic. I was also working out of the gym, like trying to do my private, you know, like this, uh, private clinic on the side and I was pregnant. Like, oh, wow. Oh my gosh. And then I was wondering why I just couldn't, you know, like I was wondered why I wasn't good enough. You know what I right. mean? Like, and so I just wish I could go back and say, pick one thing and just, just do that. And it's okay if you don't know all the answers, you know, you're going to live, your patients are going to live this. You're not a surgeon, you know? Right. Right. I love it. I love it. Okay. Last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you'd like. Okay. Okay. Number one, for the uninitiated, why does Bill call you Dr. Dr. Sarah? Oh, yes. So I have a doctorate in neurobiology that I worked very hard for and I like to think I still use it but not not in the conventional <laughs> way and then I also have a doctorate in physical therapy the deal DPT so it ended up being a doctor doctor Sarah I love it <laughs> I love it okay number two how has being a parent changed your outlook on therapy or coaching I love this question because remember that you know the empathy that we talked about it's funny I think um, Eric Cressy just put out like he had like posted something. I think I saw it on Instagram. It was like, you know, pretty much like you can shove your 6 a.m. workout and your meditation routine. I have two kids fighting over a balloon and one trying to knock over the Christmas tree. Yes. yes. You know, yeah. so being able to come in with patients and, you know, especially like new moms, which I see a lot of new moms and be like, you don't, you know, just because the doctor said you can do a workout program in six weeks doesn't mean you should, you know, and right. let's, let's, let's step back and let's you know figure out when we can get this, when we can get this work in. And it's really interesting. You know, a lot of times I'll see someone post like, I got this person better in a day. And I always laugh because, you know, a lot of times with, with a lot of my parents, I mean, it takes, it might take three visits for us to figure out when they can get this exercise in and what position it can be in, you know, is it that they only have bedtime, like when they're physically in their own bed? Sometimes that's not when it is because they have a baby with them in their bed. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of knowing the ins and outs of parenthood has been awesome and definitely made me a better therapist. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You definitely learn patience. That's for sure. I didn't know if I'd ever learn that lesson. I'm still not totally sure, but I'm getting there. Yes, Uh, exactly. Okay, number three. I know you're one of Bill's former PT students, which obviously holds you to a different standard. But with that being said, what are you excited to continue learning about in the future? Like, what's your con ed looking like for 2021? Actually, right now it's been interesting. Like I said, I'm I'm getting into this like peds bowel function stuff, which you think like, oh, that's you know. How fun is that? But it's actually really cool because then I'm go I'm able to go back and learn a lot of the neuro like really dig deep in a lot of the neurodevelopmental positioning mm. and uh, 
you know, how the pelvic floor and the diaphragm are developing over that time. And it really gives you a better understanding of the pelvic floor as a postural muscle because these kids, they don't develop that pelvic floor as a postural muscle properly, like if they're having issues. And so then it also doesn't work as a functional muscle to have a bowel movement or anything like that. And so just getting into all of that has been really, really interesting. So yeah, that's, that's where, that's where things are. Yeah. That's where things are going. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I love it. I love it. That's cool though. Okay. Number four, last but not least, what's next for Dr. Dr. Sarah? I kind of alluded to it earlier and I'm not going to give everything away, but I'm, I'm really, my goal is to come up with something and I'm working on it between having to take care of kids and all the other stuff. I feel like every time I get a good time to work on it, like, you know, disaster strikes, you know, a glass breaks, milks everywhere. Kids aren't sleeping, all that stuff. But I want to help strength coaches and non pelvic floor PTs have a good, like, uh, just some, just enough information to know, to know the, the language yeah. as well as being able to screen for some of this stuff and, and not to, not to change it. And that's a huge thing. Like, I really think there's a, a know your role situation because, yeah. you know, we've already talked about like the empathy, like I've worked on that for years and have had good mentors in how to work with pelvic floor dysfunction. I don't think you need to be a pelvic floor therapist. I think that strength trainers and other PTs need to know what could be going on. Yeah. And and then also to develop a language with the patient that doesn't that's really like harm avoiding, you know, like how to say I'll never forget, like, I wish I could, another thing I wish I could go back on, all of the people, especially like women in that kind of like 45 and on, like when they don't want to do something, they were, I always thought they were so mean about it. Like, <laughs> I will not do that. And you, you can take your stupid exercise and, you know, and go to hell. Right. And, you know, and I was always like, why, why wouldn't you just try? I mean, like, it's just, it's just this, or it's just that, just try it. And I wish I could go back with everything that I know now and be like, they might've been afraid of shitting on the floor. You know what I mean? Like you can't, they might've been afraid of something major, a major catastrophe. And here I am acting like it's no big deal. Yeah. And so, you know, having the language of, Hey, if you don't, you know, starting from the beginning, if there's anything that you feel uncomfortable with, just let me know. And we'll change it up instead of tell me everything about, you know, oh, is that painful? Oh, it's not painful. You know, like it doesn't have to be the inquisition if someone doesn't want to do something like be good enough, even make something up, you know, and I think that's where like the newer PTs, newer strength coaches are like, well, this is going to be the best thing. That's what you need to do instead of anything is okay. Like as long as you're not making the patient or the client, you know, feel uncomfortable. Right. Well, I can tell you whenever that, whatever it is, product, whatever it comes out, I'll be the first to buy it because I think that it's fascinating. Something, I mean, I'm always looking to educate myself, even if it's not, I think you do this long enough, right? You start a generalist, you become a specialist, and then you make it a goal to kind of come back to a general level as well, right? And so I'm always looking for the generalities and just looking to learn more. So definitely very cool stuff. And Sarah, I appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much for coming on today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and the great work that you're doing? Man, I wish I was like super social media set up. Um, (laughs) I do have an Instagram account and sometimes I do actually post like little videos there as well as like on a YouTube video thing. So 
Sarah, I think it's Sarah Martin. This is bad. Sarah Martin, DPT, PhD, I think is my Instagram account. Maybe I should check. We'll, and then we'll find it. If not, we will perfect. find it. Perfect. And like I said, I have a little YouTube channel that I put stuff on and just videos of, you know, little, little things that I've learned and coached. And so, yeah, otherwise, right. yeah, I guess message me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really great. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Mike. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Dr. Dr. Sarah. Really hope you enjoyed it. The pelvic floor is definitely not my strong suit. It's not my forte, but I also know and understand that it plays a critical role with regards to posture, breathing, and movement. So it's something that I've got on my list to continue to learn more and more about. And I think if you're playing the long game here, you realize you can't know all of the things about all the areas of the body all at once, but at the same time, you make it a goal like, hey, I don't know enough about this area, but I know that and I respect that and I know down the line, I'm gonna make this a focus. It's gonna be something I'm gonna learn more about. So kind of agree with me. We gotta make sure that Dr. Dr. Sarah gets this product or, or video or whatever it is done so that we can all learn more from her. So my friend, if you enjoyed this episode, I got one or two favors to ask. Number one, if you are not already subscribed, take two seconds out of your day and do that right now. Wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you download podcasts, subscribe now so that you get each and every episode downloaded straight into your phone, tablet, wherever you listen to shows. If you are already subscribed, go one step further for me. Give me a rating and a review on iTunes. This is the most surefire way to make sure that other trainers, coaches, and rehab professionals get exposed to the show, they get to listen to these amazing guests, and hopefully we make our industry a little bit better place. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support, love and appreciate you, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>